The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Let's go to the legislature where Premier Kenny is speaking ahead of Dr. Dina Henshaw. In our province and across Canada and around the world, the number of novel, novel coronavirus infections and fatalities continues to rise. Before I get to Alberta's numbers, I'd like to try to alleviate some of the anxiety we're all feeling by sharing some modestly encouraging data. As of today, March 25th, there are about 440,000 reported cases of infection around the world. While there have been nearly 20,000 deaths attributed to the virus, the Johns Hopkins Centre for Systems Science is also reporting 112,000 recovered cases. And the vast majority of infected page patients exhibit mild or, in many cases, no symptoms. We are starting to record recoveries from COVID-19 here in Alberta and across Canada. Yesterday, British Columbia reported that 173 patients, nearly a third of the total number of infected, have fully recovered. Moreover, countries like South Korea, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong and Japan, which implemented strong countermeasures early in the outbreak, have been very successful in containing the rate of new infections. So the evidence uh, strongly points to a dangerous but manageable public health crisis. Thanks to excellent pandemic planning and swift action by Dr. Hinshaw and her public health team at Alberta Health, Together with the great healthcare teams at Alberta Health Services, we're managing the early stages of the outbreak in Alberta effectively, much more effectively than in many other jurisdictions around the world. The best, the best measure of Alberta's response is that we currently rank fourth in world uh, per capita testing, that is to say the fourth highest in the world on a per capita level for the incidence of testing. That said, the number of confirmed cases in Alberta has risen by 61 over the last 24 hours, bringing the total number of confirmed uh, infections to 419. Early this month, we launched a series of aggressive public health measures to spread, uh, excuse me, to limit the spread of the virus, including restrict restrictions on mass gatherings, closure of many facilities, and restricting capacity at restaurants and other food service locations. Recognizing that international travel was a primary vector for transmission in the early stages of this pandemic, we moved to augment federal efforts to screen passengers at our major uh, airports. Many of these actions were supported by invoking a state of public health emergency under the Public Health Act. Municipal governments and First Nations have been doing their part to support these containment efforts. And I'd like to thank uh, mayors, councillors, uh, First Nations chief and administrators across the province for their good work. We strengthened this intergovernmental partnership by passing amendments to the Emergency Management Act, allowing local and provincial states of emergency to exist at the same time, helping communities and the province to respond more effectively to the pandemic. We've also partnered with municipalities and charities to expand shelter, assessment and treatment capacity for the homeless who are uniquely at risk during the crisis. Uh, I, yesterday I visited Hope Mission here in Edmonton, the largest homeless shelter in northern Alberta, uh, and saw their good work um, with the additional funding we provided them. They are uh, setting up uh, overflow shelters today and the, an additional overflow shelter being set up at the Expo Centre uh, together with the overflow shelters being established in Calgary and other cities around the province. And I can tell you this is a matter of particular uh, focus for the Emergency Man Management Committee of Cabinet. Uh, at every meeting we are uh, discussing uh, what more action needs to be taken to uh, pr help protect that uniquely vulnerable population. The legislature passed the 2020 budget in record time so that we have now more than $21 billion to support our health care system, including the additional half a billion dollars specifically for COVID-19 response. We also introduced new billing codes for doctors so they can do more virtual visits with their patients, as well as a new billing code for pharmacists to allow them to take on a bigger role in screening for the virus. 
underlying all of these efforts has been a systematic effort by Alberta Health Services to ramp up the capacity of our healthcare system to deal with the projected increase of hospitalizations. This includes marshalling all available personnel and vast amounts of supplies, including personal protective, protective equipment and ventilators, and increasing availability of childcare spaces for workers, providing core healthcare and other services. And let me just add that while AHS has been very forward-looking well before this in developing large stockpiles of, of critical equipment and supplies. Uh, we have tasked the uh, Alberta Emergency Management Agency, now operating out of the Provincial Operations Centre, with coordinating the procurement of additional supplies to be shared with uh, uh, people working in essential services outside uh, the healthcare system itself. So that would include um, staff at homeless shelters, uh, uh, police officers, correctional officers, and people in other essential services. There is also uh, ongoing work on defining critical infrastructure and essential services. We'll have more news uh, on, that, on that front later this week. This in, uh, I should say that today I'm pleased to be here with Dr. Hinshaw to announce further measures to contain the spread of COVID-19. The overwhelming majority of Albertans have been very responsible and civic-minded in responding to this crisis. Most of us understand that we all have a role to play in limiting the spread of the disease by staying at home as much as possible, practicing rigorous personal hygiene, maintaining a safe distance from other people, and respecting the restrictions that have been put in place to limit social interaction. But sadly, not everyone seems to get it. Too many people continue uh, to ignore, ignore these guidelines that have been issued by uh, Dr. Hinshaw and the government of Alberta. As I said before, too many people are ignoring our public health guidelines and in so doing, they endanger the health of others, particularly the most vulnerable. So today we are moving from asking people to res act responsibly to instead using the full force of the law to legally that require that people act responsibly to protect public health. Through amendments uh, to the procedures uh, regulation under the Provincial Offenses Procedures Act, community peace officers, in addition to police, will now be able to issue tickets to enforce COVID-19 public health orders. These provisions include the current limit on mass gatherings to 50 attendees uh, and um, mandatory self-isolation for people in the following circumstances. Any individual diagnosed with COVID-19 or exhibiting the symptoms of COVID-19, such as cough and fever. Anyone returning to Alberta from outside of Canada. And all of those who have had close contact with an individual who is confirmed or probable case of COVID-19. To be clear, returning international travelers must self-isolate for 14 days, or they will be subject to the newly imposed significant penalties. All others, uh, including confirmed or probable cases of COVID infection, and those in contact with confirmed or probable cases, must self-isolate for at least 10 days. These legally binding rules include operational daycares, except for those for whom we are making exceptions uh, to support critical care workers uh, and, and core service workers, public recreational facilities, bars and nightclubs, and non-essential visits to continuing care and long-term care facilities. So if you violate the rules that we have laid down, you will now be subject to stringent penalties and fines with rigorous enforcement behind them. To drive home the importance of everyone adhering to these laws for the protection of public health, community peace officers and police will be able to issue fines of up to $1,000 per violation through tickets. We are consulting with municipalities as well on the possibility of expanding these enforcement powers uh, to municipal bylaw officers. 
Courts will also have increased powers to administer fines of up to $100,000 for a first offence and up to half a million dollars for a subsequent offence or for more serious violations. These new fines will be enforced over the coming days. Uh, these new enforcement measures are a reasonable, prudent, but necessary response to the escalating COVID-19 outbreak in Alberta. Uh, these powers are being uh, enforced through a ministerial order under the uh, public health emergency, but we will be coming to the legislature uh, in the near future to seek to actually make the necessary amendments uh, on a permanent basis. When life returns to normal, uh, I, we will no longer require these kinds of extraordinary powers. But right now, we must uh, use every tool available uh, to ensure public safety. And with that, uh, we'll hear from Dr. Hinshaw. Thank you, Premier. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you all for coming. As Premier indicated, since yesterday's update, we have confirmed 61 new cases of COVID-19. This means 419 cases have now been identified in our province. We suspect up to 33 of the 419 cases may be community transmission, which is five more than we talked about yesterday. Currently, 20 individuals are hospitalized, of whom eight are in the ICU. These are significant case numbers and they underscore the seriousness of the situation that we face. Late last night, we learned of an outbreak of COVID-19 at an adult group home for people with developmental disabilities. So far, one staff and two residents have tested positive. We are also aware of nine cases to date in staff and residents of long-term care or other continuing care facilities. This includes the four previously reported plus two additional cases at the Mackenzie Town facility in Calgary, as well as one case in Rosedale on the Park and two at Shepherd's Care Kensington Village in Edmonton Zone. I know that many Albertans are concerned about these cases and about the spread of COVID-19. I am concerned as well, which is why, as Premier Kenny has outlined, public health orders will now be enforced by law. This step is essential to protect the health and safety of Albertans. Alberta's enforcement of public health orders is in addition to the decision of the federal government to implement a mandatory 14-day quarantine under the Quarantine Act for travelers returning to Canada. This step is serious and it is necessary. We must do everything possible to stop the spread of COVID-19, to support our healthcare workers, and to keep our family, friends, neighbours and vulnerable Albertans safe. As I have previously mentioned, people living in long-term care and other continuing care facilities are most at risk of severe illness from this virus. Over the past two days, despite the aggressive measures already in place, it's become clear that additional measures are needed. It is up to all of us to do everything we can to prevent the spread of this virus and to keep vulnerable populations safe. This is one reason for the enforcement of the public health orders. In addition, we restricted access last week to these facilities to only essential visitors, all of whom must undergo health screening prior to entering. The Ministry of Community and Social Services has communicated with the Alberta Council of Disability Services that this also applies to licensed facilities for persons with disabilities. Today, I am ordering additional directions that all healthcare operators and service providers must follow. Facilities under this order include all nursing homes, designated supportive living and long-term care facilities, seniors' lodges, and any facility in which residential addiction treatment services are offered under the Mental Health Services Protection Act. These new guidelines are mandatory. They will help keep those living and working in congregate settings as safe as possible. This includes new expectations that every facility must follow enhanced cleaning and additional directions around the use of shared spaces and common activities. They also outline mandatory health screening protocols for all staff, residents, and essential visitors entering a facility. An updated operational standards document will be made available on the COVID-19 webpage shortly and will also be distributed to service providers and operators. As new cases arise, 
I know that some Albertans may be feeling tired of the constant barrage of information, and they may be wondering what more they can do. The answer is simple. We must all do everything possible to follow all public health recommendations in place. All of us have a role and a responsibility to stop the spread, and there are actions that all of us can take. These extend to our homes, our families, and our traditions. For example, we need to limit the sharing of open food, even between family members. Don't share snacks like a family popcorn bowl, open candy, nuts, or other snacks like this. Limit the availability of a communal fruit bowl. Don't share cups, drinks, or utensils, and have one person as the designated person to serve all others so that a serving utensil is handled only by one person. This direction became abundantly clear following the Edmonton bond spiel, where almost half of Alberta healthcare workers in attendance have tested positive for COVID. We suspect the virus was spread at a buffet where serving spoons were handled by many people. I know it might seem strange to limit these activities in your own home. However, this is important modeling that we as parents can share with our children, and it is another step that we can take to keep each other safe. Wash your hands, disinfect surfaces often, include this in your daily household routine and make it part of the new normal for your children also. I know many Albertans are now at home with kids or working from home. These are big changes for everyone and you may start to feel closed in. Families may need to find creative ways to keep children occupied. One suggestion is to partner with a cohort family where both families agree to isolate from everyone else and to focus on supporting each other. By doing this, the two families would only be exposed to each other, limiting close contacts. Children ha would have opportunities to play in a controlled environment, and parents would have opportunities to connect. I must be clear, this only works if both families are completely committed, and as long as members in both families remain healthy, don't have underlying medical conditions, aren't at high risk like seniors, have not recently traveled outside of the country, and are not showing any symptoms. Another change we need to make is in our traditions. There are several significant religious and cultural holidays approaching, such as Easter and Ramadan. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to talk to provincial faith leaders about how plans for these celebrations will need to change. Now is not the time to plan any travel, even to other cities or provinces, or to attend large family gatherings or dinners. We must maintain social distancing practices even when we are together with family. Now is not the time to visit grandparents for Sunday dinner. Now is not the time to host or attend a potluck with friends. Now is not the time to plan for a family reunion. This is the time to stay home and work together to limit the spread. Please practice good hygiene and keep two meters between you and others. Many families and groups of friends have been using shared video chat to stay in touch while at home. This is a great way to connect. If you have been using any other ways to connect remotely with family or friends that you want to share with others, please share them with the Alberta Cares hashtag so we can all learn from each other the creative ways we can stay socially connected while physically distant. As I've said before, we will get through this together, even if for now we have to stay far apart. Thank you, and I'm happy to take questions. Go ahead, Dean. Premier, can I ask you to supplement your comments on the, the fine? Specific, I appreciate you're probably still working some of this out, but how would it work uh, for subsequent offenses and, and playing it out? What do you do if somebody is, gets fined and still continues to, to re-offend? I'm going to defer it? actually to Minister Shandro because not only is, he, is the order issued under his authority, but he's also a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Premier. Uh, it would be similar to the, um, the offenses um, and, and penalty scheme under the Safety Codes Act. So the first offense would have a maximum of $100,000. Subsequent ones could be higher. It'd be to the uh, discretion of the court. So um, for subsequent uh, offenses, it'd be a maximum of 500000 But it'd be very similar to uh, if somebody uh, faced a, a penalty under the Safety Codes Act. Sorry, just to clarify, what do you do if someone just will not, you find them and they still are out there? 
Well, um, so we, we are under um, a state of public health emergency, and um, so if, if that came to, to that situation, then I would be consulting um, Dr. Hinshaw to see what other uh, recommendations she recommended for either me or her to be taking with an individual like that, um, and whether it was, um, yeah, I, I, but it would take consultation with Dr. Hinshaw at that point. Julia? Um, this is probably for the Premier. How will these uh, community peace officers and police know if this individual is breaking self-isolation, if they had just come back from being outside of the country? Again, I'll defer to the Minister. Sorry, the question one more time. How would they know How? if they just come back from the country or not? Yeah, and would be setting up some kind of hotline for people to be calling in tips then? So there is actually already uh, a hotline of sorts, if that's the word you want to use. Um, AHS, um, all of our public health inspectors are employees of AHS. So, um, and right now, the, the, the system is complaints driven. So when somebody makes a complaint, then a public health inspector goes and, and uh, investigates and decides whether or not to um, uh, impose um, a fine or some other um, um, uh, uh, I guess measure. Um, so it, right now they do receive about 1,600 um, uh, complaints a day. Part of the reason why we wanted to take these steps today is to be able to make sure that it's not just public health inspectors that are we um, are relying on to be able to to investigate, but uh, also um, including, um, for example, the level one community peace officers as well, because they they have the training to also be able to do this. Go ahead. And sorry, uh, Minister, just to clarify. Could I just, could I just say, I, I don't expect uh, that uh, police officers are going to come up and interrogate whether somebody just came back to the country or not. But uh, I think the more likely scenario where these powers would be used if, uh, is if a group of more than 50 people uh, springs up in a park, let's say, the weather gets better and suddenly you see pop-up picnics with with, uh, with several dozen people, uh, then uh, the uh, uh, peace officers could, could go and break up such an event and, if necessary, issue fines. So, um, again, this is not uh, an effort to uh, um, start interrogating people based on how long they've been in the country, but it does hopefully send a message. That's really what we're trying to do here send a message this is not a hint it's not a suggestion it is an absolute legal requirement that under certain circumstances people must isolate themselves uh, this is probably for the minister as well uh, just uh, a little clarification on the fines I heard the premier mention fines of a thousand but also the court can uh, uh, add fines of a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand is the thousand dollar fines for like individual Albertans and the higher fines are for businesses caught open bars for example that sort of thing I think that's exactly right. So what we've done is we've added three measures. One is we're allowing the, the level one community peace officers to also um, supplement the, the work that the public health inspectors are doing. The second is because the Public Health Act doesn't include it right now, adding the idea of an administrative monetary penalty as well, so similar as a, a traffic fine. And so it'd be similar to if a, an infraction or a contravention of the act was significant enough or severe enough, same as the Traffic Safety Act, there might be a more significant consequence where you'd actually have to go to court and be mandatory um, attendance and that's where the the more significant fines would be but now we also allow the discretion of a public health inspector or these CPOs to be able to also um, have it in their toolbox these uh, administrative monetary penalties we'll go to the phones operator can you put through the first caller please first question from Terry Reese with CBC Terry go ahead Yes, hi, thank you. I, I believe the Premier uh, could perhaps address this, uh, and Dr. Hinshaw, if you want to throw in. It's uh, related to uh, supply of ventilators in Alberta. Uh, and I'd like to know if, if, if we're satisfied that we have enough ventilators. And the federal minister has been musing that perhaps supplies and equipment such as ventilators can be centralized and then sent to the areas where they are needed the most. And I'm wondering uh, how that might fly in Alberta, what, whether that's uh, an acceptable Solution. Well, first of all, uh, we've been briefed that uh, by Alberta Health Services that they have roughly 580 ventilators available in the system. That includes uh, specifically ventilators for children. Uh, there are an additional 50 that are uh, on order from uh, that were an order that was made when the coronavirus first began to manifest in China, and we are briefed by AHS. They believe that we have an adequate number of ventilators to cope with the anticipated peak of the infection when that 
that occurs. However, uh, in an excess of caution, uh, we are um, working with uh, the federal and other provincial governments to see if we can source additional ventilators. As you know, there have been efforts uh, in Ontario, uh, for example, to get uh, manufacturers to uh, convert to the production of ventilators and efforts to uh, have um, companies that produce these kinds of ventilators to, to open up uh, their, their patents um, for extraordinary production on a limited basis. So we are in discussions with both the Public Health Agency of Canada and with um, other provinces uh, to pursue that possibility of sourcing additional ventilators and other uh, kinds of equipment like uh, personal prote protection equipment, um, again, in an excess of caution. Uh, but uh, I uh, listen, we, we need the equipment that we have in Alberta for Albertans. And obviously, if we were to get uh, down the road here and find that uh, we have excess capacity, uh, we would consider sharing some of that capacity with other provinces, but uh, only after we can be absolutely certain that we are um, fulfilling the, uh, the requirements of the Alberta Health Services. Would you like to compliment that at all, Doctor? Thank you, Premier. I completely endorse the comments you've just made. I would add that although there is a focus on equipment and people love to ask about how many ventilators do we have, uh, equally important is we need to be sure that we have the space in order to house individuals who are critically ill and Alberta Health Services has been working for some time to ensure that we will have adequate space uh, as the need arises uh, and most importantly of all we need to be sure that we have adequate trained staff because ultimately having a shiny machine in the corner uh, doesn't help you if you don't have adequate trained staff who can provide the direct care that's needed to that critically ill individual and as well as to maintain the ventilator so we're working on all aspects of, of that response plan. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next is Kevin Nimick with CTV. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi there. I do have a question and then a follow-up. Uh, the first question is for Dr. Hinshaw. I'm wondering specifically for a divorced parent who is share custody of a child. Can the child go back and forth between homes, say, one week with one family and one week with another family, or is there a sort of protocol in place? So that's a good question. We know that many families are in uh, different situations and, and shared custody is very common. So certainly the, the comments that I made about having families that um, decide to work together with each other to uh, be a kind of common isolating group, uh, that would encompass those kinds of shared custody arrangements. That this Certainly I would not say that this current situation means that parents or children would need to choose which household they stay in. Uh, so these recommendations would not impede any of those kinds of shared custody arrangements. But families in that situation obviously then need to think about how they are uh, containing the, the number of people in total that their children and their families are in contact with. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Follow-up? No follow-ups today. Next question is David Staples with the Edmonton Journal. Hello there. Um, a country like Taiwan is doing well so far in terms of uh, limiting um, the spread of the disease as well as keeping life going on as normal since kids going to school. And I'm wondering if um, where we are in terms of uh, production of face masks in Taiwan, they make 10 million a day. And I'm wondering from Dr. Shinshaw, how effective are uh, everyone wearing face masks? How effective would that be? So I can comment on the second part, uh, but I wouldn't be able to comment on our local ability to produce uh, face masks. So what we know from best available evidence is that face masks are really effective when someone who is sick is wearing them to prevent spread of illness to others. And we know that in workplace settings where someone is needing to provide close care, especially in healthcare, to someone who's sick, a face mask when it's combined with all the other appropriate personal protective equipment and 
and measures that limit the spread of infection from one person to another, that is also effective. But what we've seen uh, from studies in, in previous occasions, so whether that's the previous pandemic in 2009 uh, or in SARS, is that if you wear a face mask alone while you're well uh, and just out and about, it doesn't seem to add a great deal of protection over and above regular hand washing and avoiding touching your face with unwashed hands. And in fact, if people are wearing face masks in a way that is not correct, so say that they're putting a face mask on with unwashed hands or taking it off with unwashed hands, they can actually contaminate themselves and and potentially cause more risk. So it really depends on how face masks are worn. Uh, and again, the recommendation is that people who are sick should wear those to prevent spread to others. And in healthcare or workplace settings, again, appropriate personal protective equipment, not the mask alone, but the entire suite of precautions is necessary. And then I might look to someone else to speak about manufacturing capacity. Well, as I said earlier about ventilators, David, we are uh, making an effort to source all kinds of equipment. Um, I want to commend AHS for having been very well prepared uh, for an event of this nature with a very large stockpile of equipment, including PPE, including face masks uh, for our medical professionals. But obviously what we're seeing is a great demand from uh, other sectors, including uh, police, uh, correctional officers, uh, folks working in homeless shelters and, and elsewhere. And obviously many people in the public who would like the, this kind of equipment as well. So uh, we have tasked uh, Deputy Minister Paul Winnick, uh, who is oversees the Alberta Emergency Management Agency uh, with um, coordinating extraordinary procurement efforts for equipment like that, like face masks, and uh, and also to, to come up with a process for its uh, distribution. First of all, to priority folks in the uh, in the public service sector. Um, but uh, so we're, we're going to be doing our best to, to, and part of that involves, as I said, domestic procurement efforts. There have been a number of um, uh, of offers from uh, from manufacturers here here in Canada. So, uh, Deputy Minister Winnick will be briefing Cabinet on those efforts uh, this Friday. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next question is Emma Graney with the Globe and Mail. Yeah, okay. Um, thanks for taking my question. Now, I've got a question here about the um, increased powers for peace officers and also police officers as well. Um, I understand the need to have them now, but when will Albert see those powers dialed back? How will they be dialed back, particularly given our motto here is strong and free? Thanks. Well, for, I'll start by saying that we'd actually do, uh, let me just be clear, as I said in my statement, uh, the powers are uh, um, being uh, in, excuse me, ordered, ordered by the minister under the extraordinary uh, authority he has uh, through the declaration of a public health emergency. However, uh, to your point, we do believe that any expansion of police powers should be ultimately subject to legislative authorization by the elected representatives of Albertans, which is why uh, we will be proposing amendments to the relevant statutes in the legislature uh, in the days to come. We have an understanding with the opposition uh, that we can and, sh and uh, should uh, sit in the legislature on an extraordinary but limited basis to deal with uh, emergency legislation as it arises. This will be one such piece of legislation. And perhaps we'll consider putting a uh, sunset clause uh, on the uh, on these enhanced powers. But clearly it's not our intention to use these except in the most extraordinary circumstances. Tyler, would you like to compliment that at all? Sure. Um, I, I think that the administrative monetary part um, is incredibly needed anyways for the Public Health Act and uh, that likely would uh, continue um, even after our response to COVID-19. Um, the, the idea of including police officers and um, community peace officers is also being able to um, impose fines under the Public Health Act. I, um, I, as, as Premier said, I, I think that's something that uh, will need to, to be um, considered and, and debated in the legislature. All right, uh, two more from the phones, and then we'll come back to the floor. Operator, can you put through the next caller, please? Next is Graham Thompson with iPolitics. Go ahead, Graham. Premier, you've seen uh, what happened in Ottawa with the path of the bill. There were some uh, questions from the opposition who get balked at the idea of giving uh, the Trudeau government more powers uh, to, uh, get the, to raise taxes unilaterally. You know, Do you think the... Um, 
Trudeau Liberals for trying to do an end run around Parliament by doing that? Well, that that certainly was the uh, the intention of, of those provisions. But I think, to be honest with you, I spoke to some senior members of the Trudeau government, and uh, they said uh, that that they look. They said that they were not fully aware that those powers were embedded in the original version of the bill, and that as soon as they realized that, uh, they pulled them back. So I think I, I think that's a good example of how Parliament should function, which is to say the op closely studied the bill. They saw some truly extraordinary powers. Uh, they they brought that to the public's attention. The government realized it was an overstep and quickly corrected its course. So I think uh, I think that's a good example of parliament uh, parliamentary democracy working well. Uh, I. I, I I think that the notion of, of seeking a 21-month period during which the government could could impose any kind of tax or spend any money on anything with no limit and no parliamentary approval was pretty obviously overreach, and I, I commend the government for recognizing that. And you know what? I, I don't I, I don't want to uh, turn this into a political football because I understand even he, I mean from our own. Uh, experience here day to day we are in crisis management mode things are moving extremely quickly emergency a big emergency bill like that would have been put together uh, by uh, dozens of people in multiple ministries uh, working around the clock and it's always possible that uh, uh, that something hasn't received proper scrutiny so we're all moving very fast and I just I think that the, the public generally should be patient with political leaders at all levels and across Across the, uh, the the political spectrum as they try to sort through these issues, but there is a need uh, for um, for oversight and accountability, which is, for example, why we are committing to come to the legislature uh, to to make the amendments uh, to um, to give effect to uh, statutory effect to what the minister is declaring is ordering today. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next caller is Myrna Juchik with Radio Canada. Go ahead, Myrna. Hello, the question is for the Premier. Monsieur Kenny, in French, s'il vous plaît. Si vous pouviez nous expliquer pourquoi c'est important de donner des pouvoirs additionnels à ces agents de la paix et à ces policiers, et quelles sont les limites de ces pouvoirs, s'il vous plaît. Oui, effectivement, il y a trop de personnes qui ne respectent pas les règles qui ont été imposées par le Dr Hinshaw, qui refusaient de faire l'isolation après ce qu'ils arrivent au Canada d'outre-mer. Et nous croyons que... You've been listening to a news conference with Premier Jason Kenney and Dr Dina Hinshaw. It's been going on now for about 45 minutes. We'll take you back there in just a moment. But just if you're tuning in, just want to give you an update. Date. There are 61 new cases of COVID-19 in Alberta, 419 in total. They believe up to 33 may have been due to community transmission. And uh, right now we have 21 cases in hospital, eight currently in the ICU. And one of the things that was mentioned that an adult group home for people with developmental disabilities has been affected as well. Also want to let you know that the province putting into place measures to more measures to help stop the spread, including uh, law enforcement agencies being granted full authority to enforce public health orders and issue fines. Um, peace officers, police will be able to ticket to enforce COVID-19 public health orders. Fines now administered through tickets uh, for violating an order have increased from up to $100 a day to a prescribed fine of up to 1000 per occurrence. We'll tell you more about that. Let's head back to the news conference. Uh, justify the, a general declaration of emergency in Alberta. Uh, the One of the only relevant powers we would have would be to close the borders of the province. We cannot close the international borders uh, under international law and our constitution, but we could only close our provincial, interprovincial and territorial borders. Uh, we may, uh, if it becomes necessary, consider uh, screening people entering Alberta from Alberta's, pardon me, from Saskatchewan, BC and the Northwest Territories. I note that Albertans going into the territories are now being screened. Uh, Quebecers going into New Brunswick and New Brunswickers going into Nova Scotia are being screened. So we do see some of that interprovincial screening happening. We do not need the, an invocation of a public emergency to do 
that. That is an option. And we would only do it if, if um, Dr. Hinshaw and her team were to recommend that. But at this stage, we do not see uh, uh, any compelling need to make a general declaration of emergency. Dean? Question for Dr. Hinshaw. Multiple parts, sorry. It's, I didn't hear a community transmission number from you off the top. That would be one. But I'm just wondering about your testing priorities. You said you'd be reevaluating those as you go. Mm -hmm. I noticed uh, we went from almost 3,000 tests to less than 1,000 today. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's that reflective of. Also, we're looking at about 60% of the cases are in Calgary, but only 30% of the tests have been done. I'm wondering if, you're, if that's a concern or whether you're going to rectify that. Multiple questions. All right, I'll do my best. <laughs> So, uh, so was the first question yeah, about yeah. the uh, community numbers. So 33 of, of our total cases to date, which is five more than yesterday. Okay. Um, then there was a question about testing priorities. Why, so why we dropped quite a bit. Uh, so today was the day the lab was expecting a shipment of reagent. So um, I'm not sure, I haven't spoken to the lab directly, uh, but I know that they had anticipated that um, over sort of yesterday and today, they may be kind of at the end of that one reagent supply. Today was the day they were getting more. So that's possible that, um, that that's why those numbers were low. I also know that when we announced the change to our testing priorities, one of the reasons we did that was we had quite a few swabs that had been taken and the lab hadn't been able to process them. I know I've heard people uh, expressing concern about how long it's taken to get test results sometimes. And so we actually have um, implemented this in two stages. So the first part on Monday was to really turn down that testing and returning travelers, allow that backlog to move through. And tomorrow is going to be the implementation date for the healthcare worker screening. In addition, we and I, and I want to be clear, we've already been doing testing in long-term cares, testing of hospitalized patients. You know, we have been continuing all of that, but the expanded healthcare worker screening is likely to be implemented tomorrow. So again, it could be a combination of those factors why the, the testing results are a little lower today because we've been moving through that backlog, working on gearing up, and then uh, have that reagent coming in today. And you had a final question. It was just strange to see 60% of the cases in Calgary going to the testing. Is that, yeah. is that indicative of anything that concerns you? So we know that in Calgary there have been uh, at least one significant uh, cluster of transmission where we have quite a few cases from one event and then quite a bit of spread from those cases to secondary cases. Uh, so sometimes when we see a number of cases that are, are in a, a smaller volume of testing, it's because we're actually testing those close contacts of confirmed cases and they have a higher likelihood of, of being positive. Uh, but I don't think that the numbers are indicative of any difference in terms of community risk, because again, it's really been about returning travelers that we've been testing so far, and again, those close contacts. Once we start to get more information as we uh, unfold this more community-based testing that will give us a better idea of what's happening in different communities and that local level of risk but at the moment I wouldn't differentiate between Calgary and Edmonton with respect to what we're seeing in terms of community transmission. Julia? Um, I'd just like to go back to that adult group home that you were talking about right off the top in terms of the outbreak. Can mm -hmm. you just go over those numbers again how many people are in that group home and um, whether you know the source of that outbreak yet? So this was another outbreak that was identified late last night. So this is another example of where we're letting the public know what's happened, but we don't have all the information yet about the source of the outbreak, uh, kind of where, where it might have been brought into that setting. We know that there's one staff member and two residents in one particular uh, house. So this is a, a, a group home that has multiple houses across a, a particular area and it's only in one of those houses uh, that there are these two cases. And so right now the investigation that's happening is to determine whether or not any of the staff members, the one staff member who is a confirmed case, whether there's potential exposures to other houses, are there other staff members who are, who are ill, and that's all information that's being uh, investigated today, so I don't have those details. Go ahead. Uh, we've heard, I'm not sure if this is true or not, I'm hoping you can confirm, but uh, we've heard that the directive for senior facilities is to treat in place, which I understand means if residents in that facility become sick or test positive, they're told to stay there, keep them comfortable until they either die or recover, and AHS is not to take them into acute care. Uh, 
can you confirm or deny this? And if it's true, could you explain why? So I will maybe ask Dr. Jaffe to speak to that. I'll just say quickly that my understanding is that of generally of, of what a treat-in-place um, direction would mean. So I, I would ask Dr. Jaffe, I'm not sure of the AHS decision on this, but in general my understanding is that it would be to respect the wishes of clients. So if an individual who's a resident of a long-term care has expressed uh, wishes in terms of an advanced directive that they don't wish for extraordinary measures to be taken, uh, and if that individual did get ill and was to become seriously ill, if they themselves had already said I don't want extraordinary measures to be taken. There would be no benefit in moving that person to a hospital if they didn't want that to happen. So my understanding of that treat in place is not that it's refusing care, but rather that it's expressly considering the wishes of individuals. But maybe I'll ask Dr. Jaffe to speak to the, the AHS um, part of this. So thank you. The reality is that most Albertans who acquire COVID-19 will in fact be treated in place. They'll stay home. They'll stay in their usual place of residence. And the same thing would hold true for those in long-term care facilities or continuing care facilities. Uh, ultimately, it is uh, the judgment of the staff and physicians who, uh, who supervise the care in those facilities to determine whether they think an individual would benefit from a transfer to hospital. There's been absolutely no direction from Alberta Health Services not to transfer. Uh, but as Dr. Hinshaw uh, stated very clearly, uh, it's important for each resident in long-term care and their families to make decisions about what kind of care they would like, what they would see for themselves at the end of their lives, uh, whether they would prefer to, to spend, if, it, if they are their last days, whether they would prefer to spend them in their home, which may be the long-term care facility, or would they want to be transferred to hospital. Remember that there is no specific treatment for COVID-19, so there is no specific therapy that would be offered if an individual arrives at a hospital. What we can do is we can support life uh, uh, with life support systems uh, if individuals require it, and ultimately if they would truly benefit from that care. Okay, we'll take. Maybe just say sure. one additional thing, just, just to follow up on what Dr. Jaffe said, to be clear, even though uh, older individuals have a higher risk of severe disease and death, that does not mean that every older individual will go down that road. So just to be really clear about that first part of what Dr. Jaffe said is, even if someone is in a long-term care and does get infected, they may have a mild illness and they may not require any additional care. So just wanted to follow up on that. We'll take two more from the phone and then the Premier has a brief statement to make. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Yes, yeah, first question is Jason Keller with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, Jason. Hi, this is for the Premier. Um, we've reported this morning that the province is figuring out a list of essential workers, presumably in the event of a shutdown like we've seen in Ontario and Quebec. So how close are we to something like that in Alberta and what is the current thinking in terms of if or when we would need to go down that road? Well, I said, I think in response to an earlier question that we uh, have been working uh, diligently on developing a list of what constitutes critical infrastructure and essential services. Uh, we were briefed on an initial proposal uh, by uh, the Alberta Emergency Management Agency uh, this morning, and uh, they're going to do uh, further work. I, I anticipate that by early next week we will have settled on uh, a criteria and a list of essential services. Um, so uh, we've been looking closely at what other jurisdictions do, including Ontario, um, Saskatchewan, some U.S. states, including Massachusetts, uh, to uh, as a template for our own list. Obviously, Alberta's economy has some unique characteristics, one of which is our large energy sector. As I've said before, uh, I raised with Prime Minister Trudeau when this all began over two weeks ago that uh, uh, the continued operation of oil, a certain oil sands infrastructure is uh, essential because if if uh, some of those SAGD projects shut down, they that permanently risks uh, their reservoirs and billions of dollars of investment and a critical part of the Canadian economy. So um, our list will be more expansive than others in areas like energy production, but I think it will probably end up being quite similar to that of Ontario or, say, Massachusetts. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Yeah, next question is Jason Herring with Post Media. Go ahead, Jason. Hey there, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, the only number that we've heard so far for recoveries is three. Uh, can you explain why that number hasn't changed since the weekend as well as with the processes that must be completed before a COVID patient is said to have recovered? 
Sure, so part of the reason that our number is still at three officially is because we recognize that using our lab tests to determine when someone has recovered from the virus is not a good use of, again, we have a certain number of lab tests we can do, and we felt that was not a good use of those tests when we know that, again, the evidence that I discussed yesterday, someone who has very mild symptoms will not be able to pass that virus on to others after 10 days from the start of their symptoms. So the piece that we're trying to figure out is without having those lab tests come through our administrative databases, we're really relying on the local public health teams to be uh, letting us know when those individuals who've been confirmed to be cases of COVID uh, have cleared their symptoms. Uh, so again, to be clear, it's 10 days or the resolution of symptoms, whichever takes longer. So because that's a bit more labor intensive to figure out, uh, we really are waiting for a better process so that those local public health teams are able to efficiently let us know when someone has met those criteria. And as you can imagine, with the number of new cases we're getting every day, local public health teams are incredibly busy and their priority is really following up on those individuals who are new cases and determining close contacts and putting that uh, isolation and quarantine or the, the self-isolation in place around those people. So that's taking a little while to get a good administrative process flowing for those recovered numbers, but we are working on that and I anticipate again within the next several days we'll be able to have a more accurate representation of those recovered numbers. Great. The Premier has a statement to make. Right. Sorry, just a little update. I, I meant to um, include in my opening statement just to say that the uh, extraordinary, the special isolation payments that we announced last week are now open for application at alberta.gc.ca. And uh, these are uh, one payments available of $1,146. Uh, if they are required, uh, people if people are required to self-isolate, uh, or if they are the sole caregiver of someone in self-isolation, and if they have no other source of uh, income or compensation, so the criteria are very clear on the website. Um, the criteria include people who have been diagnosed with COVID-19, have been direct or have been directed by health officials to self-isolate, or are also the sole caregiver of, de of a dependent who is in self-isolation. Um, I understand that uh, as of the first, by two o'clock this afternoon, uh, some several thousand people had already applied and the website effectively crashed because of the surge in demand but I understand that Service Alberta will have it up and running again uh, with expanded capacity so I uh, just wanted to ask people to be patient uh, as we cope with the overwhelming demand and I just want to remind people that this is not intended to be a long-term income replacement program it's simply an interim cash payment for people who are in isolation who have no other income until they qualify for the expanded federal benefits which were announced last week and which have been expanded in legislation adopted uh, by the federal parliament earlier today. We'll Thanks very there. much. You've been listening to Premier Jason Kenney and Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health, in a, in a daily news conference updating the situation of COVID-19 in the province.